4. Upon this Lord's Day, this Sabbath, this Sunday, this Reformation Day, we've been uh, pausing to from our uh, normal two series of messages on the attributes of God and the Westminster Confession of Faith to look and to focus upon the subject of the Reformation. This morning it was uh, the centrality of salvation and that the Reformation through Luther, Calvin, and so many others brought about uh, a clear understanding that had been lost in the church for the greater part of what salvation was truly all about. And uh, the idea that one could indeed purchase the salvation of others through uh, the indulgences sold by Tetzel uh, was something that uh, for Luther as well just, just mystified him. Um, and until he came to the realization that it was an untruth, that it wasn't what the Bible taught, that that could not be done. And then through that glorious revelation of the Lord to, to him in that passage from Romans chapter 1, 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Tonight, we look at another aspect of that. How does that factor of coming to the true understanding of what the God's word presents to us as the truth about salvation... How does that and how did that impact the worship of God's people? For there's going to be a noticeable change that's going to take place. The worship that was going to take place, whether it was under Zwingli, whether it was under Calvin, or whether it was under Luther, was going to be quite a bit different than the worship that had been practiced um, particularly in the last probably 200 years leading up to 1517. And so tonight it's a, a reformation of worship. And we already catch the hints of that. We, we already catch that. Because Jesus in John chapter 4 is indicating to this woman at the well that there is a change coming. Now the change that Jesus is speaking of is the change that about, is about to occur because of his death, because of his resurrection, and because of his ascension, and because of the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. But it reminds us then of what the Reformation recaptured. John chapter 4. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had a pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to freely open your word, Father. And uh, we pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he brings your word this evening. Open our hearts, dear Father, uh, to the truth. Um, there is so much confusion in this world, so much mistruth. But Father, we know the source of all truth. And, uh, and grace, and we just praise you for a loving Savior, and uh, may it be our act of worship tonight, dear Lord, to, uh, to worship in spirit and truth. All of this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray, amen. So three things, again, as usual. First of all, a needed reformation, which will take a brief glimpse at what things were like in Luther's day and Calvin's. Secondly, a biblical reformation. We'll return back to John chapter 4 and examine what it is that Jesus is telling this Samaritan woman. And then thirdly, the continuing reformation that constantly is before us and the challenge that we have as God's people in this day and age as well. And then briefly, first of all, a needed reformation. So let's go back and examine the church of, that was in existence just prior to Luther hundred years before Luther, couple hundred years. Actually, things hadn't changed for quite a long period of time. Those dark ages, those middle ages through which the church went. 
Perhaps the thing that we would note the most if we were to go back and, and to sit in one of those cathedrals and to observe that which was taking place and that which the reformers then uh, realized needed to be changed is the absence of the spiritual. Jesus tells this Samaritan woman that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And there was a crying absence of the spiritual. And what we mean by that is, I would say, three things. One, worship was not about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is well documented that many, if not most, of the priests of the day of Luther and Calvin were themselves not believers. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean by that at this. It was an occupation. It was a job. I had the opportunity on Friday to speak at, at Grandparents' Day at Lamont Christian, and I reminded the kids that one of the things the Reformation brought as well was a reformation of education. Prior to the Reformation time period, school was only for the aristocrats, the extremely wealthy, or for those who were in line by pay for a priesthood. That got you out of the, the regular running of things, how life went. That's all who went to school. Everybody else just worked. Every child worked. 12 hours a day. Oftentimes for no pay, because it was working at home. Hard, tedious labor. Because I could see in the eyes of the kids when I said they had no school, they're going, really? Sounds like a nice time to live. Oh no, not a nice time to live. But you see, it was an occupation to be a priest. It was a job. You got paid. You got paid pretty good compared to the rest of the society around you. So there were all sorts of people who flocked to the priesthood for a job, not because they were converted. It didn't take a converted person to do the job of the priest in those 1500s. There was a lack of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The people sitting there, the people in the pews, for the most part, did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we have Luther struggling with his salvation. It's Luther who needs to be knocked across the head and say, look, it's through Christ. Most of the people sitting in those pews thought they were earning their own salvation or buying it or purchasing it. There was no faith, no trust in Jesus Christ. There was a lack of spirituality in the church. Secondly, there was the lack of the understanding of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart, in a person's life. You, you didn't talk about being born again. You didn't talk about living a new life in Christ. Outside of all the other things that Calvin did, one of the things that Calvin is most noted for is being the theologian of the Holy Spirit. 
It is through his work and through his writing that, as it were, the Holy Spirit, who was this figure in the background, emerges from the pages of the New Testament as the active agent at work within the church of Jesus Christ. He wasn't there. It was a church without spirituality because it was a church largely without an understanding of the Holy Spirit. It was a church without the word of God. It didn't have it. You didn't have it. I might have had a copy as the priest or the church had a copy. That might be the better way to put it. The church had a copy. Maybe a few folks in the church had a copy. Not you as regular attenders, but people like Luther and so on. They, they might have some copies of some portions. And the word was not that which was central to the worship. It was the performance of the mass. It was the performance of the Eucharist that became central. We talked about that in our Thursday morning Bible study. Even to today, the word of God is off to the side in a Catholic church. It is as if it is not as important as other things. There was a lack of spirituality. And there was far too much of the physical. They weren't spiritual, but they were really physical. The bells, the smoke, the whistles, the pictures, the statues, the forms, the rituals, the sounds, the clothing, the vestments, the figures, the artwork. That's that physical stuff is what the church was all about. The physical building is what the church was all about. So what do we have? We have great cathedrals that were started in the 1200s that they're still building today. They're still working on because it's about the building. It's about the architecture. It's about the structure. It's about the smoke. It's about the incense. It's about the clothing the priest wears. It's about raising up that great cross as it's paraded down the front. It's about the physical and real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. It was way too physical. And there was no spirituality. And so there was a reformation that was needed. A reformation that Jesus is speaking about here in John chapter 4. I want you to look at three things with me in regards to that biblical reformation. Look, first of all, at how Jesus is indicating there is a change that is coming. Verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Things are going to change. Up until this particular point in time in history, up until the coming of the ministry of Jesus Christ, his death, resurrection, and ascension, and the outpouring of his gift of the Holy Spirit, Worship is confined. It's confined to places. And, and whether you're a Samaritan and you think it's Mount Gerizim, or whether you're a Jew and think it's Jerusalem, a time is coming when there is a change going to take place, ma'am. You ask me the question, where should we worship? I'm giving you the answer. There is a change coming, and it's neither Jerusalem nor Mount Gerizim. 
Notice how he indicates that again when we go down to verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is here. When what? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He's indicating a change. He's indicating this is a time for a reformation. My presence, the one who is here is the living water, the one who is the great I am, the one who is the Christ, is going to usher in a change. A change in regards to worship. No longer will it be in the temple, no longer will it be by sacrifices, no longer will it be by rites and rituals, no longer will it be by priests, specially selected and chosen. And whether that's in the Jewish way of understanding it or the Samaritans' erection of a temple on Mount Gerizim because they couldn't go to the temple in in, uh, Jerusalem, so they erect a duplicate temple and seek to worship God there. And what Jesus is saying, that's coming to an end. There is going to be a change. We are not going to, you are not going to worship in the way that was formerly before you. The author of Hebrews refers to these as shadows. That that which came before was but a shadow pointing to the reality. Jesus is saying the reality is now here and I am that reality. And I am ushering in a change in regards to how we worship. The very words of Jesus indicate to us that a reformation is about to happen. A change is going to take place. What's the change? Well, listen to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus indicates two things are going to come about. True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And he utters that twice. He says it in verse 23. He says it in verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And yes, it The ESV is probably correct, most likely correct, I would say very correct, in not capitalizing that spirit. Some of your versions maybe do. And I understand why, I understand where it comes from. But it leads us to an understanding of the word spirit that is not intended in the words of Jesus. What Jesus means, by saying one must worship in spirit, is that one must worship with an understanding that is inward. Worship is not so much an outward expression as it is an inward position. Listen to that again. Worship is not so much an outward expression as it is an inward position. What do I mean by that? Well, if we go back to that which had occurred prior, we had the tabernacle, right? And in the tabernacle, okay, they had set up Exodus, you know, the last portion of Exodus, Thursday morning Bible study, you still listen, even though we've just been over this. Exodus chapter 40, they got the tabernacle done. God comes, 
God blesses it with his presence and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now we're in Chronicles. Thursday morning. Solomon builds the temple. The temple is done. They have a dedication ceremony. Solomon prays. What happens? The glory of the Lord fills the temple. God's presence filled the tabernacle. God's presence fills the temple. And so there is worship conducted at these places. But there's been a reformation. 1 Corinthians chapter... Got to look at the reference again just to make sure I get it right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. We, Paul says, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We as believers are the temples of where the Holy Spirit dwells. What does that mean? Well, if we're a temple, the Holy Spirit lives within us, then the glory of the Lord, That Shekinah glory of the Lord is that which is within us. Worship is not so much about the externals, Jesus is saying. It's not about the place. It's not about the building. It's not about the rites and the customs and the clothing and so on. It is to be an inward expression that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God that lives within us. That was on nobody's radar screen in 1517. Nobody's thinking this. Everybody's thinking, oh, we worship today. The choir sang that great Gregorian chant. What did they say? We have no clue. We don't understand Gregorian chants. But boy, it was nice. Why didn't the priest do a good job today with the, the mass? Well, what did he say? We don't know. It was in Latin. We haven't the foggiest clue what the guy said. Nobody ever told us Latin or taught us Latin. Yeah, but there were some beautiful pictures. What were they of? We don't know. But there were nice pictures on the wall and there were some nice statues. It's not an inward expression that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within an individual. Jesus said, there's a change coming. There's a change. And the change is going to be, you're not going to worship in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim anymore. You're going to worship in spirit. Now yes, that certainly references the Holy Spirit. But you see, what happens is when you say that, then all of a sudden people get the idea that the only way to worship God is to be a Pentecostal, right? That the only way to worship God is you dismiss Jesus Christ, you dismiss God the Father, and all you do is center on the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and elaborate signs and symbols and all that other stuff. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He is simply saying that worship goes from the exterior elements to an inward expression. That's the change. And that's the change that the reformers thought to bring about as well. It's the heart. It's the heart engaged. 
That's worship. That's worship. Now, how does it express itself? Well, certainly part of that is the expression of it outwardly. Certainly. We'll come to that. But it begins with an inward expression. It begins with that presence of the Holy Spirit. That's worship. When the Holy Spirit is present in a person's heart and life, then the glory of God is taken up residence within that believer. And as they come, they come to worship. In a formal way, such as this. But one of the things that the Reformation brought was, it's not just here. It's not just at these set times. Worship is when you go out on Monday morning. And you go about your work. You go about your labor. You go about pouring cement. You go about delivering fuel oil. You go about building a house. You go about teaching school. You go about your housework at home. You go about the business of life. That too is an expression of worship. The people in the 1500s would have looked at you like you're nuts. That's only the, that's all what we do when we go to that cathedral. That's the only time we worship. And the reformers are, no, no. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Because the glory of God doesn't come and go. The glory of God stays with you. When you go to work Monday morning, and Calvin is famous for saying, the street sweeper on Monday morning is as much in worship for the glory of God as I am in my study preparing the next sermon. It was a change of thinking that all of life now becomes an expression of worship so that in all that we do, we seek to bring honor and glory and praise to God. Whether we're sitting in a classroom listening to a lecture, whether we're pulling electrical wires, whatever it is we're doing, it's for the glory of God. And that is an expression of our heart. That's an expression of worship. But it also means in these formal times of worship as well. It isn't one or the other. It is both. There is a time coming, Jesus said, when the type of worshipers and the type of worship that God is seeking, that the Father is looking for, is that inward, spiritual, true worship is in spirit. But it's also in truth. The only way to worship is in truth. Now Jesus is going to clarify this for himself, right? We let scripture interpret scripture. What's truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. We could say, no one can worship the Father but through me. There is a change. There used to be sacrifices that you would bring. Now the sacrifice that you're going to bring is me. I am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. 
See, and this ties in that which Luther discovered from that text. The righteous shall live by faith and the centrality of Jesus Christ needed for salvation now becomes the centrality in worship. It's about Christ. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. It's about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Not the Old Testament shadows and types, but the one who is the true high priest. The one who gives the perfect sacrifice and becomes the perfect sacrificer. He fulfills both. He is both the sacrifice of perfection and he is the priest of perfection. And it is through him that we worship. It's not through the means of the priest. See, that's what's going on in Luther's day. Really, your only way of worship at all would have to be through the priest. Not Jesus Christ. Human Floyd. And here we run into another struggle, right? Human Floyd isn't even a believer. How how is worship going to happen? How how is this going to take place? You don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody's told you that's what's needed. What everybody's told you is you need to give money to the church. That's what's going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is to pray your rosary. That's what's going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is to call the guy who lives in Rome, Papa. That's what's going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is you must listen to everything the church tells you and do it. Even if it's in conflict with the word of God. But you don't know it's in the conflict with the word of God because you don't have the word of God. And even if you had it, you couldn't read it. What a system. It needed reformation. Must worship in spirit and in truth. It must be that true expression coming out of the presence of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us as the temple of God, centered on, focused on Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to hear from the words of Jesus are these words of assurance. For this is what the Father's seeking. This is what the Father's looking for. See that at the end of 23? But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. See, the people aren't seeking Him. He is seeking them. God desires. God wants 
us to worship him. This great and glorious and majestic God that we have been speaking of over the course of these last Sundays desires. He's seeking. He's looking. He wants. And those whom he seeks, he finds. He finds true worshipers who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. God desires and God works to ensure and God brings about and God gathers his people from all walks of life. <laughs> they didn't hear that in the 1500s. Because you're so poor you can't give anything to the church. Part of the use, but it's the way it would have been used. Good luck getting to heaven with that one if you're poor. Now that's not who, who the Father is seeking. God, Father is seeking those who are going to worship Him out of the Spirit and in Jesus Christ. You mean I, the, the poor guy over here on the street, can worship Him? Yes, that's who the Father is seeking. You mean me as a child can? Yes. Yes. Meet me as a woman? Yes. The Father seeks. And oh, the grand culmination of that, that is before us in that 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. Right? Just, just keep your finger here at John 4 and turn with me there a minute. And, and just see. Okay, here, here's John, same, same person, right? Same guy. who's giving us this through the Holy Spirit. The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Does it happen? Yes. John is given the privilege of seeing the vision, of seeing that which happens, of seeing that end of time, of seeing glory. Pick it up with me, if you would, please, at verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Do you know who that is? That's you. That's me. That's the church of Jesus Christ. These are those that the Father has sought out and the Father has found. And there, gathered in glory, is a number, a multitude so large, so large. It sounds to John like when they shout the roar of mighty waters. It sounds like Niagara Falls coming over. What is he here? Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Oh, and now listen. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. But what are the righteous deeds of the saints? 
Christ's imputed righteousness. There we are, in glory, shouting, Hallelujah! Because you see, when Jesus said, the Father seeks, the Father finds. And he's found you, and he's found me. And in that reformation, he found men and women, boys and girls, drawn out of that darkness, of that church that was not spiritual, that was not worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he drew to himself those who would raise a song of praise, hallelujah. And we, we are the great-great-grandchildren of those. And God continues to call, continues to call you and I. The challenge for us is that reformation. The reformation that Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 4. The reformation of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox of the 1500s is a reformation we need to continue. I've mentioned it many times. Worship has gotten really muddled today. It's really muddled. I think this verse from Jesus would be kind of shocking when people really understand what it's saying. It's got to be a continuing reformation. I got four points, four quick things. But before I say that, I'm going to mention something. The reformation and the change in worship, whether they will admit it or not, Changed the Catholic Church too. It changed them. There is a difference. Now we could say, well, yeah, it's still way too physical and not spiritual. Probably so. But there is a change. They sing. They didn't sing before. They read the word more. They didn't do that before. They got trained priests, at least. They didn't have that before. It changed. They'll never admit it. They'll never say, you know, if you walked up to a Catholic friend and say, do you know, you got a lot, you should be very grateful to Martin Luther because he really changed the way you folks worship there in the Catholic Church. You'd probably get hit. It's probably not a conversation piece, but it is an observation. The Reformation affected worship across the board. What needs to continue? Four things. One, we need to continue to be grounded in Christ. Let me just read the verse I have down that goes along with it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
If we want to continue on the Reformation that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 4, that the Reformers began back there in 1517, then we need to be grounded in Christ. Secondly, we need to be standing on the Word. Hebrews chapter 4.12, For the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living and it is active. To continue this reformation, not only does Christ need to be preached, but the word of God needs to be stood upon. In spite of all the heresies, in spite of all the threats, in spite of all the attempts. Right? Did you catch that this morning in the hymn that we sang? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. The line that talks about by heresies oppressed. They're still around, folks. There's still those heresies. And the only way true worship in spirit and in truth is going to be carried on is when we not only preach Christ crucified, but when we stand upon the word. Third, when we are in awe. When we are in awe. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. That we are called to worship the Lord in reverence and in awe. There needs to be amongst us a sense of humility. Not a sense of arrogance, not a sense of pride, not a sense of holier than thou. But a sense of true humility, of understanding it is by grace and by grace alone. And understanding that when we think about and reflect upon the majesty of God. That we are shaken to our knees. That when we think about a phrase that I used moments ago. About the fact that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit who is fully and equally God. May I just be humble. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. I am such a sinner. I am such an unworthy sinner. And yet, we believe God's word. That's faith. We trust what God says. But it's not only humility. There is to be a sense of reverence. There is to be a sense of holy of realizing we are in the presence of God. This isn't a come and go. This isn't a do what we want. We are in God's presence. But it also means a sense of being captivated. Of just Maybe the word I would use is marvel. We ought to, when we worship, just continually marvel at God, at the love of God, at the mercy of God, at the power of God, at the majesty of God. That's the kind of worship Jesus is talking about when we worship in spirit and in truth. An awe that doesn't look at, ooh, look at that nice statue. Look at that great painting. Look at the smoke rising. 
ooh, smell that incense burning. Look at the priest's robes today. No. What we are in awe of and marvel at is God. Particularly God in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. And lastly, that it's done filled with joy. If you're sitting in a cathedral in the year 1516, top song of the day is gloom, despair, and agony on me. There's no hope. There's no comfort. There's no peace. There's no assurance. There is no joy. But you see, when you open the book, when you open the book, when you come back to the Word, rather than keeping it hidden from people, rather than keeping it from people's eyes, when the Word becomes that which is read, when the Word becomes that which is believed, you see, then you come to the Psalms. And what is Calvin most noted, one of the things he's most noted for in worship is he brings the Psalms alive. He brings the Word of God alive. Psalm 98. Turn with me there. I'm only going to read a couple of verses of Psalm 98. Listen. Listen to these words. Listen to how God would have us worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now what do you do? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Or how about these words? The crux of Geneva. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Four things. Grounded in Christ. Standing on the Word. Being in awe. Filled with joy. We've got to do all four. Can't do one without two. You can't do one and two without three, and you can't do one and two and three without four. Worship of the Reformation was a worship of joy. Of joy. That's why Luther would often take the hymns that were sung in the bar and in the tavern, the tunes, and he'd put Christian words to them because he knew that in that bar and in that tavern there was joy. He said, let's bring that into church. Let's sing that way. Let's sing praise to our God in that way. 
Let's sing it with enthusiasm. And I can say that to little farms. Because that's what we do, and we do well. We do well. But the continuing reformation needs not to be just little farms. It needs to be the church of Jesus Christ around the world. Centered on Christ, grounded in him, standing on the word, being in awe, filled with joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that rings so true yet today and will ring true throughout all of eternity. That the Father is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that in our own hearts, in our own lives, we too might hear the words of Christ in this evening. That we might apply them to our life, to our time. And that we, Father, might worship you. Spirit and in truth. For we have, we have a great high priest. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's turn in our hymn books.